We're going to be talking again about the power that is in a disciplined life. I know discipline is sort of like a four-letter word, though it's a ten-letter to some of you. But you know what? Discipline's going to get you where you want to be. And so let's read a couple of passages up here. And we're going to talk about three private spiritual disciplines. Next week I'm going to deal with three public spiritual disciplines. But let's look at three uh, private spiritual disciplines today. And we're going to read out of 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Now notice what he says uh, to Timothy to tell his own people. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, read it with me everyone, train yourself. Notice no one's going to train you for you. Who's going to train you? Yourself. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for everything in life. And not just this life, godliness has value for both here and now and the hereafter. Because if you're disciplined now, you're going to bear fruit you wouldn't bear otherwise, and you send that ahead of you. You can't take with you gold and silver and jewelry, but you can send ahead of you rewards. So, then let's read another passage from the Apostle Paul. Look what he said about himself. Read the first four words with me. I discipline my body. Now think about that. He said, I tell my body what to do. Like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I have a fear. Here's my fear. That after preaching and ministering, so, so many other people, I would be disqualified because I didn't have self-control. I didn't have any discipline. So discipline yields rewards, both in the here and now and in the hereafter. Father, thank you for your word. I pray. I, Lord, I sense our church is about to go up another level. It's going to go up another level. And it's going to happen, Lord, by discipline. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name Motivate us. Put the fire under us, Lord, and help us to hear your word today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated. And let me talk to you about this today. Now, the bottom line is that the Bible has a lot to say about discipline. As believers, we are to be disciplined people. Now, there is that little verse that says that we are to uh, buffet our bodies. You ever read that verse I, where Paul said, I buffet my body, which means discipline it? But some Christians have misinterpreted that to say buffet. <laughs> and I buffet, I buffet. And you know that it's true when you go to the restaurant and uh, it goes from buffet to buffet when you see that dessert tray. So, oh, I'm going to buffet my body. And we're real good at that. But no, the word is buffet, which means discipline. Now, discipline is needed. When you don't want to do something, you ought to do. We've all got those things. Discipline is needed when you don't want to do what you ought to do, what God wants you to do. And so you've got to have discipline to tell yourself to do something you don't want to do because the bottom line is when we do what we don't want to do, we become what we really want to be. Now that's stolen from Tom Landry. Coach Landry used to tell uh, his players, my job is to get you to do what you don't want to do so that you can be what you really want to be. 
And that's really the crux of discipline. It's when you make yourself do something you don't want to do. But you know you should do it. And then when you do it, you become what you really want to be. Isn't that what you feel like when you walk into the gym? I don't want to do this. And for me, the best part of, of working out is when it's over. But you go in there and do what you don't want to do, but then after a while you start looking in the mirror and going, hey, I like what I see. Now you're getting what you really want it to be, discipline. Discipline will take you across the finish line long after desire has waned. Because you set out on a big goal, your, your desire is going to come and go. It's going to be up and down. But discipline takes you across the finish line when desire has fluctuated. Discipline transforms potential into reality. I don't care anything about potential if it's never used. Potential that's never used is meaningless. It's useless. We've got to discipline ourselves and turn our potential into reality. Discipline separates dreamers from doers. The wannabes into the achievers. You can want to do something all day long, but discipline will make you do it. And when you do it, you achieve. We've all got to be disciplined. Listen carefully. Picture a bridge. Discipline is the bridge between what you want and obtaining it. It's the bridge between desire and destination. Discipline. What do you want? There you see the destination out there on the horizon. That's what I want to achieve. But between wanting it and getting there is the bridge of discipline. You won't do it. If it's worth getting, you won't get it without some discipline. So it's very important that we have discipline in our lives. The Bible places a high premium on personal discipline. As a matter of fact, did you know the Holy Ghost came into your life in part to help you to be a more disciplined person? Now that's a revelation, isn't it? Well, I thought he just came into my life to make me feel good. No. He's way more than a feel-good Holy Spirit. He came into your life to bring discipline into your life so that you can be what God's called you to be. And you won't be it without some discipline. Discipline or self-control is the ninth and last fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. That means the, the fruit of God's Spirit being present in your life is discipline, self-control. I tell my body what to, what to do. It doesn't tell me what to do. I am not subject to my appetites. They are subject to me. Now, we got to get that, folks. We're not to be slaves of our fleshly appetites, they are to say, yes, sir, to us. Yes, ma'am, to us. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control, without discipline, is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. You know what that means? That means that a life without discipline is way more vulnerable to the thief. None of us would live in a house without doors and windows. Why? Because we need to sleep with a gun by our side. Somebody's coming in. The picture is discipline helps you to be more effective in your spiritual battle against the enemy. Jesus nailed down the problem with us wanting all the things we want. Because listen, in this sanctuary today, if you're a child of God, I know this about you. 
I know that you have a desire to grow spiritually. You have a desire to please God. You have a desire to bring forth fruit. You have a desire to be in His will. You have a desire to be a man or a woman of God. And He put that in you. And so I know I'm talking to people that have God-given desires, hungers, longings, yearnings, and goals. He put that in you. That's the signature mark of God in your life. I want to please God. I want to be a man and woman of God. Now, if that's going to happen, Jesus said, here's your problem. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. That's going to be your battle. You can, have, you can have these longings, these desires, these goals, but you're going to have to put discipline to the desires that I give you to carry yourself over to the destination. Or it's going to remain desire, frustrated desire, discouraging desire. A lack of discipline is certainly one of America's biggest problems. Is that a revelation, anybody? Man, we got a problem with discipline in America. Let me give you an example. The percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't run is 87%. <laughs> that means there, you've got those Nikes in your closet. And when you bought them, you saw yourself running. I'm going to join the jogging crew. And man, they've sat there. Aren't those pretty shoes? They've sat there. Aren't those good looking tennis shoes? Nikes. Those are real Nikes. People come over, you pull them out. Look at these Nike, my running shoes. But you're not running. They're just sitting there. <laughs> I would ask for a show of hands, but I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> How about this one? The percentage of Americans who own treadmills but don't use them is 92%. <laughs> there it sits in that room. That special room, you were walking through Academy or some other sports store and you saw that treadmill. Maybe Walmart had a special, I don't know. And you said, man, I've been wanting to get on a treadmill. I just know that if I have that treadmill, I'll lose this weight. I'll tone up. So you bought that thing. You had it shipped to your house. You got it in that room. You look at it and then you look at it. And then you look at it and then you look at it. And you say, someday I will. When I'm feeling a little bit better, don't have this ache in my knee, I'm going to get on that treadmill and I'm going to lose that weight. And it sits there and it has become the joy of the bugs and spiders in that room because they've made all their webs on it and there it sits, the treadmill. Say with me, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. It's the same way with I'm going to pray more, I'm going to be in the Bible more, I'm going to this more and that more, and I'm going to grow godly. But boy, Jesus said, here's your problem. You're still in a tent of flesh. And you've got a willing spirit, desires that are from God. But you're going to have to put discipline to it or you're not ever going to get it. Now, let me help you today because if we understand the actual truth about what's called the inner man and the need to strengthen the inner man, then we're going to become more disciplined. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you, walking out of here today, you're going to be more disciplined. You're going to have a greater desire. You're going to have intent to discipline your life in godliness. Praying like you ought to, or at least accelerating your prayer life, your time in the Word. We've got to strengthen the inner man. Let me talk to you about the inner man. Discipline really does begin with understanding the need to be strong in the inner man. 
The Bible teaches that we all have two things, an outer man and an inner man. Now, it's easy to understand the outer man. It's your body, your skeletal system, your flesh. That's the outer man. So there it is. I'm looking at your outer man. But then you've got an inner man. It doesn't say in the Bible you've got an inner thing or an inner spirit. Uh, it calls it an inner man, an inner person. It's your spirit, your soul. The inner man is that part of you that was born again when you said yes to Jesus. When Jesus said you've got to be born again to ever see the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about a physical birth. He was talking about a birth on the inner man. It's your inner man that was touched by the Spirit of God. It was your inner man. Ephesians 2 says that before we knew Jesus, our inner man was absolutely dead. The Greek word is corpse on a slab. Your inner man, before you knew Jesus, was dead in trespasses and sins. You walked around, you functioned, you got married, had kids, changed flat tires, had a job, all of that functioning physically, but your inner man was lifeless, dead, dead because of sin, unplugged from God, totally dead. But then you got saved. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And what he did was he L-I-F-E-D. He lifed your spirit. He lifed you. And for the first time in your life, you were actually alive. Because life is within, not without. Life is within. And the inner man became alive and, and actually raised from the dead. Just like Lazarus was called out of that tomb. Your inner man was called out of the tomb of death, out of the tomb of the death of sin and transgression, and it was called to life, and you were raised from the dead. That's why there was a skip in your step and a gleam in your eye and a smile on your face, because you got raised from the dead, okay? The inner man is that part of you that communes with God. The inner man is what God fellowships with on the inside of you. When you read the Word of God, it's your inner man that gobbles it up. Like right now, I'm ministering the Word to you, and, and your inner man is saying, Amen, yes, and you're gobbling it up. What is that? That's the inner man inside of you, the man inside of you, the, the person inside of you. Listen to Paul's prayer for the church. I pray, he says in Ephesians 3.16, I pray that he, that is God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened, listen, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. I pray that God, because he's so rich in glory, that by the power of his spirit, he would strengthen your inner man. Wow. I mean, he said, I'm praying that your inner man is strong. Well, that means it can be weak too. Listen to what Paul said in another place. He said that he and the other apostles were hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Now, th think of, first he says something bad, then he says it didn't beat us. Watch this. We were hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We were perplexed, but not in despair. We were abandoned, but, or I'm sorry, persecuted, but not abandoned. 
We were persecuted, but not abandoned. And we were struck down, but not destroyed. Wow. So, I don't know about you, but I've known Christians. And I've been there myself. Where I was hard-pressed, and it did crush me. And where I was perplexed, and it did put me in despair. How about you? And, and where I was abandoned or, or persecuted and felt abandoned. And, and certainly I felt struck down and that it was a, destruct, or a destructive thing to me. In other words, there have been times that the adversity got the better of me. But Paul's testimony is we were hard-pressed, but it didn't crush us. It did not put us in despair. We were not abandoned and we were not destroyed. We bounced back. We came back. We were not ruined by it. We were not destroyed by it. We were like that bozo clown. Have you ever, did you ever have a bozo clown when you were a kid? When my parents got me the bozo clown, I beat that dude up. <laughs> he had the big red nose. And, and I can remember having him in my, in my little play area. And you'd hit him and he'd come right back up. And you'd hit him again, he'd come right back up. And when I knew that Bozo was going to be okay, if I hit him, I hit him a whole lot. Because he always came right back up. Hey, Bozo, God wants you to be hit, but come right back up. I'm serious about that. Boy, if I saw them going through that, I'd never, I'd never recover from that. But no, what people who say that don't understand is that we have within us a power. We have within us a grace. We have within us a Messiah, a Savior. And when others would go down and be down for the count and out, not believers whose inner man has been kept strong. You read about Paul and say, how did he survive these constant attacks? These letdowns, these stresses, these dangers, how did he survive it? He tells us exactly how. He said, though our outer man is decaying, anybody can testify to that? You look in the mirror lately, is your outer man decaying? He said, though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed, listen how often, day by day. Then he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. He said, the reason I don't lose heart, the reason it doesn't beat me, the reason I'm not taken out is because my inner man is undergoing renewal day by day. I am, and, and so since my inner man is being renewed. That's my secret. That's my key. That's how I can go through all that I go through and keep coming back like that bozo. Listen how the Bible pulls in tight and focuses on the inward man of John the Baptist and Jesus. I find it interesting. God never wastes a word. And God made a particular point. In Luke 180, he tells us about John the Baptist. He says, John grew up and he became strong in spirit. That means strong in his inner man. Why would the Bible mess with, bother with telling us that? Because God's will is for our inner man to be strong. Listen to what it says about Jesus in Luke 2.40. And the child Jesus grew and became strong in spirit. Another version says mighty in spirit. And the grace of God was upon him. He had favor with God and man. Now notice how the Bible wants us to see these two men. Of course, Jesus, the God-man, John the Baptist, the forerunner. 
both paid attention to their inner man and took care of their inner man, cultivated their inner man, and kept their inner man strong. Now let me show you something up here on the screen. Now, those of you listening by radio, I just showed a picture of a really muscular-looking guy in a shirt and a tie, and um, it's a cartoon. Can I tell you guys, look at that and say, that's what God wants my inner man to look like. (laughs) Some of y'all are just going, huh? That's exactly what God wants your inner man to look like. Right there. He wants your inner man to be muscular, strong. You know what I want? I want a church that looks like that. Looks just like that. I tell you, I'm, I'm going to preach today. I can feel it coming on. I, I want us to get this. You see, when a church looks like that in its inner man, that church changes cities. That church, that church does some powerful things for God. But now, here's the way some believers look, because we wish we looked like that in the inner man, and we should look, look like that in the inner man, and that's what John and Jesus looked like, and Paul in their inner man, but... Maybe this is us. Maybe that's us. Now we're looking at a kind of an average-looking guy, you know, a businessman kind of guy. We can tell he doesn't really work out. He's not really strong. He's kind of mediocre and average and non-distinct and nondescript. And how many of you think this guy is changing the world? Now, so this guy spiritually, he goes to church a couple of times a month. He reads the Bible every now and then. And he just kind of gets by. His philosophy is, I'm going to get by. If I just get by, I'm fine. That's not what's going to change the world, but that's the way a lot of people's inner man looks. But how about this one? Now, this one is wimpy, scrawny, freaky, weird, strange, and that's what a lot of people's inner man looks like. See, you get your word, you watch, get a little bit of Christian TV, and sometimes, God help you, some of the stuff that's on there in the name of Christianity, it's not going to create the first man. But you watch a little bit of Christian TV, you're at church every once in a while, and if ever, and, and you don't ever really pay any attention to your inner man at all. And you know what you're, is happening all the time to this guy? He's losing his battles. He's being overwhelmed by temptation. He is succumbing to his, his uh, addictions, and he is not living a victorious life. He is not walking around full of joy. He doesn't have peace. He is not a conqueror and an overcomer in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, we're here to help you. Because we want you here. In your inner man. Now, when I go through these, which of these is you? Him? Him? Or how about him? Okay, we got a few. The Bible's message is this. As goes your inner man, so go you. See, when I meet you, I meet your inner man. It won't take me long at all to discern what's on the inside. If you're mighty in God, I'm going to know it. If you're weak in the Lord, we're going to know it. It won't take long. See, your inner man decides what we see on the outside. You really are whatever you are on the inside. So you can work out all day long in the gym. Are you ready for this? You can be strong 
on the outside and look like him on the inside. Quiet in the house today. If your inner man is strong, you can endure the storms of life. But if it's weak, broken, or crushed, your ability to stand up under the pressures of life is weakened. Jesus said, He that hears these sayings of mine and does them, when the rains fall, the winds blow, and the floods beat on the house of their faith, the house will not fall because it has been founded on a rock. And if you follow the teachings of Christ, your inner man will be vital and strong. It's just that simple. Listen to these passages about the inner man. Proverbs 18, 14. A healthy spirit conquers adversity. A healthy inner man conquers adversity. But what can you do when the spirit is crushed, when your inner man is crushed? A cheerful heart, Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. A crushed inner man. You're shattered. You're hurt. Your inner man's never fed. Your inner man is neglected. Uh, you've never been healed on the inside from some things. And so it's crushed. And the Bible says when that inner man is a crushed inner man, there's no cheer. There's no joy in life. It's so important that our inner man be focused on. Proverbs fifteen thirteen says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful. And heart there is the same as inner man. A happy inner man makes the face cheerful. But heartache crushes the spirit. Heartache crushes the spirit. Now let me, i got a new rule here. We have ushers going around. If anybody's texting, we're going to bust you. If you're texting, we're going to bust you. Hold off, usher. Hold off. Okay. There. Because if you're texting, you can't hear about a strong inner man. All right. Now watch this. This is why some people burn on and other people burn out. Why does somebody burn out instead of burning on? All of a sudden, somebody looks fine on the outside. Their life collapses right in front of you. They might start drinking. They might start using drugs. They might start um, acting out of character, spinning into some kind of sin. And you go, how in the world could that happen to them? Listen, no, nobody crashes overnight. It is a long, drawn-out process where the inner man is neglected. And finally, it caves in. It's like termites in a house. Suddenly the house caves. And you go, I didn't know there was termites in the house. For years they were eating away until the structure could not sustain itself. That's what an inner man is like. It's either healthy or weak. Now this is why we need spiritual discipline, everybody. Y'all are so quiet today. Can I have an amen? Is this talking to anybody? All right. This is why we need spiritual discipline. Now let me just get to it then. Let me share with you three spiritual disciplines that are private that will help you to have a strong inner man. Anybody want to look like this up here? Are you happy with that right there? Are you happy with that? <laughs> we all want to be like this. If you want to be like that, say praise God. Praise God. All right, now let's get into it. How do you develop a strong inner man? Well, it's this simple. I'm going to give you one way and underneath that, two others. 
a quiet time. You get a strong inner man by observing a quiet time. Now, you may want to call it a devotional. I don't care what you call it as long as you do it, but a quiet time. You know why we need a quiet time? A time with God, a devotional, a time away with God. You know why? Because we live in a noisy, energy-sapping world. That'll, that'll, like a vampire, it'll take all the energy and all the life out of you. So you've got to have a quiet time. Now, what's a quiet time? A quiet time is a routine period, usually at the beginning or end of the day. The beginning of the day, end of the day, or in the middle of the day. Don't care when. Usually at the beginning of the end of the day, in which 5 or 15 or 30 minutes or even an hour or longer are set aside to read and study God's Word and pray. You got to do it. You don't have an option. What did Jesus say? Man is not going to live by bread alone. You can't stay alive by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you will live. You'll have life. Your inner man will be strong. So we're going to have to have a quiet time. Now, notice I said a routine time. Not sporadic, not whenever you feel led, but planned calendarized, set in cement, this is when I have a date with God. And I'm going to get with the Lord. And this is what I do. This is how I live my life. I have a quiet time. Remember when Jesus was with the disciples and crowds were all around? And Jesus said, come apart to a desert place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going so that they did not even have time to eat. So Jesus said, I want you to come away to a desert place. And I want you to rest a while. I want you to get with me out of the hustle and bustle, out of the madness of this world. I want you to come away and shut it out and get with me. A quiet time is when all interruptions are shut out and you are shut in with God. Child of God, if you want to grow, you cannot not do that. Jesus gave us the per perfect formula for a quiet time. Did you know that? He said in Matthew 6, 6, he gave us four parts to a quiet time. I'm just going to read it real quickly. He said, when you pray, not if, but when you pray, go away. He said, get away from it all. Go away. Depart from the madness. And he said, by yourself. Go away by yourself. Then he said, shut the door behind you. Oh, I love that. Shut the door behind you. You know how I interpret that? That means turn off the TV. Well, Pastor Jeff, I love the TV. You need to be delivered. There is nothing on that TV that's worth watching. It has been almost totally co-opted by the devil. I mean, what is it you're going to get out of that TV? The sitcoms are horrible. They've all been secularized, uh, humanized, and, and they're godless and, and usually Christless. Why watch them? He said, go away alone and shut the door. Turn the phone off. Take it off the hook. Oh, what if somebody calls? What if they call? Jesus is calling. What's that song? Jesus on the main line. What, what does it say? Something like that. Jesus is calling you. Can I give you some news today? Jesus wants to get with you. He's calling to you to have a quiet time. You know why? He wants to talk to you.
He wants to talk to you about your life. He wants to share with you about your life. He knows your name, your address, your DNA, your genetic makeup, your character, where you've been, where you're going, your future, your past, when you will die, when you were born. He knows. And there's some very, very important things he wants to say to you. And how can he do it if you're out there in the madness all the time? He said, come away. He said, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in private. Pray to your Father in private. And then he promised your Father who hears you in secret, privately, will openly reward you. He'll reward you in a way that people will look at your life and they'll go, wow, look how blessed they are. Look at that person. Look at, look at the, the glow on their face. Look at the blessing on their life. What is it about them? You get that by spending time with God. Say, Pastor, I'm too busy for that. No, you're, you're too busy not to do that. John Wesley said, I have so much to do that I spend several hours in prayer before I'm able to do it. What a great statement. The more you've got to do, the more you need to pray. A quiet time is the way we obey Jesus' words in John 15, verses 5 and 6. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Good to know who you are. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man consistently abides in me, consistently, and I consistently abide in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear spiritual fruit at all, not one thimbleful apart from him. You know, I can go out in my backyard today and go to my tree and cut a branch off. And for a while, that branch is going to look fine. It'll have the leaves. It'll have the normal-looking wood, but you give it time, those leaves will begin to wither. They'll begin to brown, and then they'll begin to fall off. And then that branch becomes brittle, that any force against it at all snaps it. That's why the Bible says, He that faints in the day of adversity, his strength in the inner man was small. So, that's the picture of you and me. You can't get away from time with God. Without the branch getting brittle, the leaves beginning to wither and fall, and you're the loser. You've got to stay attached. And how do you stay attached? Quiet time. Quiet times with God. Friend, you've got to do it. The quiet time is how we regularly take the time to abide in Jesus and His Word. One of my heroes in the faith, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in the 19th century, he wrote these words. He who lives without prayer, he who seldom reads the Word, he who seldom looks up to heaven for a fresh influence from on high, that person is the one whose heart will become dry and barren. You can be as saved as the day is long. But if you don't have quiet times with God and get replenished and read His Word regularly, you're going to dry up and wither. You're going to be snappy the people around you are going to recognize it. They're going to know what's wrong. You're going to be short-tempered, moody, in a bad mood, no life, no sense of the flow of God. But if you spend regular time with Him, day by day, the inner man is renewed, strengthened, fortified. So, Here's a few quick, easy steps. One, prioritize it above else, above all else. Here it is. If you're going to have a quiet time, you've got to prioritize it above all else. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. Not only 
just first. So prioritize it. Will it be in the morning? Will it be in the evening? When will it be? But that's my time. It's my date time with God. I'm telling you to have a regular date with God. Like I said, turn off the TV, take the phone off the hook. I don't have time. Listen to this. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Everybody say, oh, me. And we thought Octomom was a first. Oh, no. Susanna Wesley was double Octomom and then three. How many of you can say, I need God then if I'm Susanna? Now, of the 19, nine did not make it out of childhood, and that was those days. I've told you how difficult England was in the 1700s. But 10 did. 10 survived, and they grew. And you know what Susanna Wesley prayed two hours a day? If she couldn't find an empty room, she threw her apron over her head and prayed. She had a ready-made tent. And the kids just said, Mom's in prayer. And there it was, Susanna Wesley. She prayed. She also managed to invest one hour per week into each of her ten children. One hour per week into each of her ten children that she might teach them about godliness. And that woman, 19 children, produced John Wesley who shook the world, Charles Wesley, Charles Wesley who shook the world. Those two men spearheaded the great awakening that changed our Western culture forever. So don't say you don't have time. Every time you say you don't have time, say, I, I remember Susanna. Third way, or the third step into a quiet time, get your heart in the right place. Learn how to approach God. Approach God first in repentance. I never get with God in a quiet time that I don't first repent. Lord, forgive me for any thought, any idle word, any action, any attitude that has grieved you. Forgive me. And Lord, if there's anything I need to repent of, show me. And I, I clear the way between me and God. Because listen, sin in a devotional time, in a quiet time, is like a skunk at a family picnic. You don't want it there. You can't have the picnic with the skunk. You can't have time with God if there's unconfessed sin. So the first way to approach God is repentance. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The second thing that we've got to approach God with is confidence and faith. See, when I know that I'm clear with Him, I come boldly to the throne of grace that I might obtain mercy and find grace to help me in the hour of need, Hebrews 4.16. So I come with confidence to Him. I approach with boldness. And I say, Lord, here I am. The sin is gone. The blood has cleansed me. I need to talk. I need to give you some prayer requests. And I want to spend some time with you. Here I am. And I'm bold. And then I approach with praise. Thank God for worship and praise. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Anytime you go into your quiet time, you ought to go to God and brag about what he's done for you. If you can't think of anything else, thank God he saved you. You could be lost, but he saved you by his amazing grace. He came to live in your heart. He filled you with his spirit. You're going to heaven and not hell. You're alive and not dead. You can start right there and have Pentecost in in your quiet time. 
So I approach with repentance. I approach with confidence. And I approach with praise. The fourth step to a quiet time. As you open his word, ask him to speak to you and expect that he will. Listen carefully what the Bible says. You have received the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 27. You, child of God, have received the Holy Spirit. And he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. That's not saying we don't need church teachers and so on and so forth, pastors like myself, but it's saying that when you open up this Word, you've got the teacher living inside of you, and he's able to make that Word come alive. So you go into that Word, and you expect him to speak to you in your quiet time. And then the fifth and the last step, do it whether you feel like it or not. Well, I don't feel it. When I feel led, I'll get in there. You won't ever feel led. Because the more you do it, the more you want to. The more you don't do it, the less you want to. You get in the habit or out of the habit. It's like a bad habit. Uh, habits are habits, bad or good. The more you do a bad habit, the more you want to do it. You remember that first hit off the cigarette you took? It felt like a lead weight dropped down into your lungs, but you persevered. And now you love it, and you want it, and you need it. But it wasn't that way at first. It's the same way with a good habit. You go into the place of prayer. Say, man, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how, what to say. I don't know how to do this. But the more you do it, the more you want to, and suddenly you've got a habit going on. I could not do what I do, not for a month, without a quiet time. I do it all the time. And you know what? I'm not trying to sound spiritual. I'm saying I do it because I'm a survivor. I know I'm pastoring a larger and larger flock. And you don't want me to, me to stand up and give you a bunch of leftovers all the time. You don't want me giving a sermonette to Christianettes. You don't want a motivational seminar. You want the Word of God. Well, the only way that I can get it. I'm just like a, I'm just like a little guy that runs to the bakery, says, what'd you bake today? And he gives me the bread, and I run it back and give it to you. I'm just a messenger boy. But I'm telling you that God wants you to have a quiet time because that is going to be the result. You're going to have a mighty inner man, mighty in spirit. Can we stand together? So say with me, prioritize it. Shut out all distractions. Get your heart right. Expect Him to speak. And do it whether you feel like it or not. How often should I do this, Pastor Jeff? At least five days a week. You ought to get with God at least five days a week. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Boy, you catch that TV five days a week. During football season, you guys, you catch those games five days a week. You get out there and you read that paper five days a week. You eat five days a week. Here's your bread. Okay? I want us to take a moment. The power of a disciplined life. Father, we need a quiet time. We need that special time, that date with God at least five days out of seven.
Help us, Lord, to become trainers of ourselves in godliness. With your heads bowed, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to prophesy to you a little bit. Some of you are continuously overwhelmed with your, your weaknesses, your addictions, that which makes you stumble. I tell you before God, if you'll strengthen your inner man, you're going to find a whole new ability to overcome. You've got to go from that wimpy inner man to that mighty inner man. Can we just say today, Lord, I will make an effort. I will train myself. If that's your heart, pray this with me, Lord Jesus. I need to train myself in a quiet time. I will pick a time and nothing will preempt it. It will be my time with you. Thank you for strengthening my inner man. Now, Lord, bring this church up another level. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, look at me just for a second. As soon as we're done with this service, I want to receive anybody who needs a new church home. You know, um, there's something about having a church home, seriously, that helps strengthen your inner man. The Bible says, he that's planted in the house of the Lord, planted, will flourish. That's, a, that's an inner man promise. Will flourish in the courts of our God. It's one thing to visit around, but when you get a family, you get a church home, and people know you, know who you are, and you know them, and you start getting fed regularly, then your inner man is strengthened. There's no way around it. you got to have it. So I'm going to stand right down here as soon as we dismiss. Maybe you're single or you got a family here with you, or a married couple, no kids, whatever it is. Come down and say, you know, Pastor, I think today's the day.